0: just dialing in and joining us. Thank you so much for joining us for another live episode of Office Hours. So Office Hours is a series dedicated for folks like me who didn't have a great time learning in a formal learning capacity, but really found that value of learning in between your class sessions by getting to talk to your professors one-on-one. I am thrilled to be able to host today's guest, Samantha Stone, to talk to us about the difference between being personal and personalization across the buyer's journey. Samantha, thank you. And I also want to clarify, it is Samantha, right? Not Sam, right?
1: It is Samantha. Thank you for asking.
0: You're super well. I always get clarification on my name, MK, as well too, but- I imagine there's a story behind the difference uh, the, the name the name you you now go by with Samantha instead of Sam
1: yeah, you know um, it's it's a funny that you should ask because it's one of those very personal things. I really think names um, you know when we're born we're given a name, and our parents you think generally speaking give you a name that they like <laughs> that somehow is meaningful to them. <laughs> and I happen to be given Samantha, and I actually like Samantha quite a lot, but it wasn't, you know, I, I didn't pick, pick that now, but as we get older, we actually get to um, take names that are meaningful to us. Sometimes it's our full name or a version of our name, or sometimes it's totally different. And as we get older, those, we get to pick a name that's meaningful to us. And Samantha's meaningful to me, I, you know, it really derived out of being a young woman working professionally, way over my head, to be honest. So, when I first went into the workforce, I was Sam. I was Sam my whole life. My dad called me Sam, my mom, my friends, I was always Sam. And so, when I went to work, I was Sam. People called me Sam, and I thought nothing of it. It was just something that went along with it. And I kind of like it because it made me feel a little. Um, stronger. I don't know. Something about Sam made me feel a little less feminine and a little bit bolder. I was a
0: share. Just one one syllable, one word. Yeah. I get
1: it. I get it. 22 years old with no experience <laughs> in these meetings, like with this job that I was super lucky to have and people were giving me this camp, but I, I I wanted to be bigger and bolder and older and more experienced and everything that I did. So Sam was purposeful, but I kept going into all these meetings that people had had an email and talked to, um, somebody had talked about me being there and I'd walk in the room and they'd, uh, you know, invariably, it was all men. And at some point soon after that meeting, I would get, everybody would look at me and go, so is is your boss Sam coming because we're waiting and it would happen enough times for me to be like time out I'm Sam what do you ta- what do you mean Why? What, what are you talking about and there wasn't enough embarrassment actually in the room as a reaction to that comment and it was sort of like oh okay well you should have said something when you walked in the room and so I being who I am, said enough of this. And that's when I started really using Samantha and Samantha became, you know, what it is. And, you know, sometimes people I joke, you know, who really do know me will use Sam. And I'm not offended by it, but I really do prefer Samantha and it's purposeful and I chose it. And so when I get a solicitation to me and somebody says Sam in it, I know they don't know me. like. It's an instant Mm -hmm. flag to me. They think they're being familiar. They think they're trying to be personal, but they've actually missed the mark because that Samantha is meaningful and important and it started for a really real reason.
0: There are so many little tendrils of this that I want to acknowledge, the first of which is reclaiming your position as a leader and being at the table with uh, a female in a position of leadership and how few folks actually, first off, weren't even embarrassed or responded by the fact that they had like mislabeled the whole situation. Um, I think that's really important for you to have reclaimed, if you will, the name Samantha and use that as a nod to the experience that you've gone through as a a symbol of your strength, um, but also now as a way to talk about like you, you don't know me if you're calling me Sam and trying to iterate on this, what could be deemed as a personal moment, but ended up actually going in the completely wrong direction, completely wrong direction.
1: Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where when I, at the time, I'll be honest, I sort of attributed to my age versus my gender, but then when the Sam versus Samantha thing kept coming, I'm like, no, this isn't about me being young, this is about me being a woman, and I need Mm -hmm. to change the dynamic so they're um, going into the meeting expecting me, and good or Mm -hmm. bad or indifferent, I'm going to call out the difference in how you perceive my voice in those meetings based on it, and look, I was really lucky um, I didn't know better, <laughs> and so I, <laughs> I, I didn't know better, and I didn't care what other people thought, so um, I felt comfortable doing that, but I know there's an awful lot of people in the world who don't feel comfortable in their voice and who won't interrupt a meeting, and say, oh, I know, not your fault, but I prefer Samantha. I, I'm comfortable doing that. A lot of people aren't, and so I, I really try very hard to um, remember that, right, when I'm interacting yeah. with other people.
0: I when someone does that, they deny you, they call you Sam, they deny you that remembrance, they deny you that moment where you can really be your whole self. And you can really bring with you that journey that you have been on. Now, one thing that I want to zoom in on as well, too, is that you said that some folks have reached out to you using Sam as a sense of familiarity, as a sense of being personal. But it sounds like that just has gone completely awry, completely awry. Yeah, you
1: know, it happens quite a lot, actually. Way more than I would expect. I think people see, I mean, I don't use Sam anywhere. You, like if you go to mm. LinkedIn and Twitter or Facebook or presentation that I'm giving on stage or my book spine or an email signature, I do not use Sam, I always use Samantha. So anybody who has gotten me in their database has got mm. to have Samantha in there. That That is the only name by which I use. And yet people will shorten just like David's will be Dave and Stevens will be Steve. And I catch myself, my Mm -hmm. husband's name is David and I only yell at him when I say David, right? So like, I don't wanna say David to somebody because I'm like, now I'm mad at you. (laughs) And that might come through in my voice. And I have a Stephen as a son who's not a Steve, right? He's not a Stevie, he's a Stephen. And that's, you know, how Mm -hmm. he prefers to be confident. So I think sometimes people are doing it out of goodness in the heart. They're like, they're not trying to annoy me. They're, they're mm-hmm. trying to do what they think is right. And maybe they know a Samantha who likes Sam or they've, you know, it's a common thing. But it backfired because if I am not using it in my profiles, there's really mm-hmm. no reason a stranger who's never met me before should assume that they know how I like to be spoken to. Assume what I wrote was the correct thing. Yes. <laughs> and and make the yes. assumption what I put out there. And it happens it really happens all the time, at least three or four times a week. I'll get an unsolicited LinkedIn note. I get invited to meetings all the time and people will say, Sam, what's your thought? And you know, mm-hmm. well, I'm actually not Sam, <laughs> but, <laughs> but let's keep going.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then I will, of course, correct. Which, uh, yeah. So I'm sure folks are, are like, this is a podcast or an episode just about how Samantha Stone was by Samantha, <laughs> not Sam. I promise you, we're all building to a point. And the point being, actually, you, you poignantly stated it earlier is the fact that despite someone's intention, despite the fact that someone had good, good intention with what they were trying to do, they inadvertently took a personalization. They took a moment where they could have been personal and used that personalization as a way to actually alienate you instead of actually getting closer to you. It's a perfect way to think about today's episode of Office Hours, where Personal and personalization are not the same thing. Now the suffix at the end of personalization or personalize means a process. And when you build a process into being personal, you lose this layer of authenticity and relatability in what you're trying to do to establish a bond, to establish a really good relationship with someone. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that differentiation between personalized and personalization versus personal. You, you literally wrote the book on personalization.
1: <laughs> so I think there's a really important distinction. First of all, let me just say both are good. I don't think personalization is bad, but sometimes when we talk about it, it, it comes up with negative connotations. Personalization is a way to proxy understanding the person that I'm communicating with in my audience and responding to them in a way. The problem is that we have defined personalization as hut and paste, take industry name, company name, abbreviation, insert here, and that we have defined personalization as, as doing that because that's the easy thing to do. It's also the wrong thing to do. Personalization, the process piece of this, is really in how we segment our audience to say, who would be interested in this white paper? Let me not just tell everybody, let me find the segment of people who have given me a signal. That's personalization. It might be, I come to my website and the page of information that I'm displayed is different because of the company's IP address I'm coming from. Now that worked when we were back in our home office is a little less unless I'm dialing in on my VPN now. Right. But it, it is a way to say, Oh, I recognize you're from this company. This company is a customer of ours. So I'm going to treat you differently than if you were a prospect, who's not bought our product before. That's Mm -hmm. the process part of personalization. It's really important and it's hard to do. Personal is something completely different. And you, personal, you cannot scale and automate. Personal is something where you really understand the person that I'm talking to. And you know that Samantha is more important than Sam, right? It's not that I have on my LinkedIn profile. This cracks me up. So I took a leadership course at Bentley, and that is on my LinkedIn profile. And I get all these Bentley alum communications. I'm not a Bentley alum. I took one six week class there. (laughs) So somebody, they, they tried personalization, but they failed because they didn't take the time to look at what it said. They just saw the logo of a college, and they said, oh, you must have this personal association with it. Well, I like, don't have a personal association. I have a personal association with Trinity College where I went for four years. And if you looked at my LinkedIn profile, you would see that. Yeah. That's the difference between personalization and personal to me. And yeah. it takes a different type of effort. And it's really about who I am as a, as a person. It's not about flags that I might easily be able to see.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a very clear and important distinction that we make, that personalization was meant to help us be to be actually faster and more efficient at our jobs. It was never meant to replace authenticity in being personal and as one-to-one as possible. And making the blanketed assumption that someone's, you know, alma mater on their LinkedIn profile is what they live in. Now, in this household, we do tend to be my alma mater is the Ohio State, so we didn't have an allegiance <laughs> to that. My partner went to Iowa State, so she does have an allegiance to that. So, but that said, just because our household has that type of allegiance to our alma mater doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has that type of an affiliation with the where they went to school. And granted, I, I'm dating myself. I went to school a long time ago. So I went
1: I, longer I, ago <laughs> than that.
0: <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that today you're still as passionate about. Fording, you know the colors of your school and that the, the pride yeah. in your school. Um, but I, lo- I love the way that you you've really framed this for folks that are on the line. Um, I just want to send a reminder to everybody if you do have a question, feel free to add it to the chat. I know we have quite a few folks dialing in today uh, who are BDRs who are looking for help and assistance on being more personal and using personalization to help you be more efficient with your outreach. But if you have questions for Samantha and I, please fire away in the chat. Um, But I wanted to dive in a little bit more on that concept of personalization. Um, And when you've seen someone use personalization to deliver a personal moment, when they've really just Nailed it. Like they have put in the time and energy and effort to know you. And that has actually been fruitful for their outreach attempt.
1: Yeah, I'll give you a good example of just this week, two contrasting communications that I received. You know, so so one worked beautifully, and I came in this morning and I was begrudgingly going through my LinkedIn messages, and I was full quite candidly of a lot of garbage. Um, And then I got this message that um, and it was someone who had read my book and all their message said was, hey, I love your book um, and um, so much. I bought it for my boss and they told me who their boss was and what their role was. That's what made the difference. It wasn't, a, I could, they really had. I knew they had read it. They had told me who they were going to share it with. Now, I'm not going to go call that person and bug that person. It's not, that's not what this is about. But I, it was a sincere, they found something that was important to me and they reached out and they expressed that, right? It doesn't always have to be deep and meaty and, and secretive, right? I, I put this book in the world for people to read it. Yeah. The, and, and what I liked about their note wasn't just that they, they read it, but that it, it moved them to do something. So when when we when we're out in the world and we're sharing an update on, you know, Facebook or LinkedIn or somewhere else, and I you know maybe I let folks know that I was coming to this uh, discussion today, right? I want to know how it moved them. I tell me you registered. Don't tell me I saw that and you know great job. Well, sure, great jobs are nice, but it was that moment of I did something with the information. It spurred me to take action that I thought was really personal and really great. I contrast that to another message that I received that made an attempt to do what I think most people think of as personalization. And they were inviting me to a podcast. And frankly, they were inviting me to a podcast that's probably a good fit for me and probably something that, you know, I I don't really need to do, but I would maybe benefit from. And they started off with, you know, hello, Samantha. They used my proper full name. Nailed it, you know, all, <laughs> step oh, one, Nailed it, <laughs> take a start, right? And then they said, hey, I loved your podcast you did on, and they listed the name of the podcast, and they linked to it. OK, they didn't really, they're linking to my podcast, which means they probably haven't listened to it. They didn't call out a single thing about it that did anything. They just took a name because they wanted to be personalized. And we think you'd be a great guest for, and they put the link to their podcast. It was such a missed opportunity. They were so close. All they had to do was demonstrate that the particular episode of the podcast they heard, what did I say on that episode that caught your attention, that sounded like I might be a good guest for the podcast you're inviting me to? It was clear they had followed a formula. It said, dear name. Insert somewhere you saw them. We think you would be a good guest. Here's all about us. Yep. Right? And they didn't even, at that point, even talk at all about why that audience would be useful to me and why I might be interested in their audience and et cetera, et cetera. I only know it was a good fit because I then, because I like to have walls of shame to remind me what not to do, went and looked up the podcast and like looked it up. But it was like, it was a formula. You can't use formulas to be personal. It's just doesn't work. Their intention Mm. was so close to good, but they blew Mm -hmm. it. And this other note totally got my attention. We had a really interesting couple exchange back and forth. And I sincerely will open the next message that person sends me now because I felt like Mm. they at least attempted to get to know me and what was important.
0: Yeah. I mean, what's so clear to me between these two examples Um, in addition to the framework and the formula, I definitely want to zoom in on that as well too, but is this concept of like hidden agenda underneath it all. The person who nailed it in this situation, didn't have a hidden agenda. They were complimentary. They were engaging. They wanted to start a really authentic, relatable conversation with you. Now the person who failed it in contrast to the person who nailed it, they clearly had a hidden agenda. You know, and, and they wasn't even that hidden to be quite honest. They, <laughs> they weren't were hiding it
1: very well
0: right? on the podcast. And if yeah. that, and there, that's okay to have an agenda when you're trying to reach out to someone. But you also then, if you are going to reach out to someone, have a "what's in it for them" mindset. What is the value of us interacting in this moment? What is the value on the other side of having completed the podcast, the meeting, the details of the next? Step in our conversation, whatever that might be. What's on the other side, so that the agenda isn't hidden, but it's also very clear to the person what they will get in exchange for the most valuable commodity any of us have today, which is time. If I could add more days and hours in the day, like please, thank you, it'd be great. Yeah, time well, is you know,
1: precious. That would be a very different conversation, and I'd I'd want to have it. Um, if you figure mm-hmm. that out, you know, I I think it comes down to something really simple: is um, we have to play for the long game. What we want is a relationship with the person we're reaching out to. What we think we want is a a meeting for 15 minutes to meet some checkbox of, I scheduled so many meetings today. But it's not what we want. You don't want a meeting, you want a relationship. And if we plan our outreach around a relationship with someone instead of around a meeting, when you do have a meeting, if you have a meeting, it's gonna be much better, I promise. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be far more effective far more useful, far more likely to share information that's going to be useful and effective for you. So sure, we all have an agenda. We're all out there trying to grow our businesses or get to know somebody new or whatever it is that we might be um, selling, right? But if if that's the purpose, we've missed the chance to be personal because it's then just all about my purpose.
0: You know, it's such an important point that you say you have have to play the long game. Um, And for context, too, for everybody on the line, the BDR team at Alice actually sits under marketing. And it's such an important moment in our relationship with our customers that we really think through what is that first person-to-person interaction going to look like? And so for me, I always am really intrigued by organizations who hire really young, maybe inexperienced, that doesn't have the professional depth that other employees might have into these BDR business development roles. When in reality, they own such an important and pivotal moment in the relationship that you're trying to build with the folks you want to do business with. Um, you know, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts around that and playing the long game for folks on how playing the long game and being able to walk away from frameworks so that we get more personal and use personalized personalization to help with some of the, the efficiency side of things, but not make sure that that first interaction goes awry.
1: You know, they have, BDOs have some of the hardest jobs. I actually, my very first what I would call real-ish job out of college was doing door-to-door sales. I was literally knocking on people's door trying to sell something. And so I really understand the challenge of what they do, but they are the front door to our brand. They are the Mm. first interaction of what they do. And we give them the worst tool as an industry, like not necessarily MKU and me personally, but like as an industry marketers, we don't, arm the team well and we don't arm the team well for a couple of reasons one is we usually measure them by short-term metrics that is all about that volume of activity and so we measure them by something that is a little bit in contrast to what actually is going to make them good and then Mm -hmm. we we hurt them by giving them templates we think we're helping we give them like here's your linkedin email introduction template are aren't we want to be nice. We're trying to be helpful. And our spirit is that they will use that to be a jumping off point and, and, and pers- make it personal for the person they're reaching out to. But it doesn't work that way. It always comes across as a formula. We've all gotten so good at, okay, I know whose LinkedIn invitations to decline because I know they're going to be pitching me for a meeting. And I test my, theory- my, my how well i'm doing this every once in a while and i like let people in that i know we're gonna do it just to see if my odds are right and every time no one disappoints me they keep doing it it drives me crazy so no. you know right we and it's it's because they're tr- they're thinking about not the relationship not the friendship that i want i mean it's almost like a friendship right that i'm trying to build mm-hmm. with someone if i want a business relationship in today in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic right? Mm-hmm. And if you weren't already empathetic to buyers and wanting to have some connection to people outside of just the, what we do, this is going to push you over the edge. People need it. We need that connection and we needed it before, but now we, you, you can't have it any other way, right? We just don't mm-hmm. have the mind space for annoyance. And so mm-hmm. we've got to get better at this. We've got to help those folks really. It's, I would rather my BDR spend, make 10 phone calls in a day that result in three phenomenal conversations Then make a hundred phone calls in a day and get them all wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's the trade-off. I mean, you have to have some level of volume. I get it. I really do. Yeah. I run a business. I, I really do understand. I've run very large BDR teams at past lives mm-hmm. that I've had. So we understand there's some level of volume, but we can't trade off scale for quality And BDRs are the key to quality and to personal. They're the only ones that can dig in and understand the person you're reaching out to and make that connection for us.
0: I I love that as well too. There's somebody like blowing my mind right now. So the first thing is uh, you have to approach your work if you are a BDR uh, with empathy. You have to understand that you have to care about the person, not the persona that you're going after in your outreach. The second thing that I think you're you're saying in disguise is that managers, managers, leaders in the BDR organization have an obligation to look for qualitative measurements of success. There are tools out there where you can look at the quality of conversation that people are having on the phone and reward that behavior instead of driving activity at volume-based metrics for your team as well too. Um, I see we got a question in from Katie. Katie asks, love the inside of playing for the long game. How do you balance this with needing to hit the volumes expected of a VDR? It's tailors all this time. And from my perspective, I think a lot of that falls on the manager to reward and incentivize quality. Um, so that volume isn't the only due north star that you're going after, but how you're getting to your goals. You've got to have meetings booked. You've got to have meetings held. Stick rates are really important. Yeah. But I, I find it to be on the manager to actually find a ver- an alternative route to the volume game. Uh, if you have the per- person who's telling you that, like, I can do this qualitatively, not quantitatively. You know, can it's really e-
1: it's really easy. And it's so easy. We miss this. I don't care how many phone calls you make. I care how many meetings you set up. And if you're measuring the impact...
0: Were you in our, were you <laughs> interested in the BDR group? I said that exact
1: same line. <laughs> it's, it's true. And so, you know, if we measure the impact and not the how we get there, because some people need to make 5,000 phone calls to do it. That's their model. That's how they operate. That's their, their style. That's what's going to work for them. Some people are going to have two conversations that just totally crush it, but their mind is all on those two conversations and they're studious and they're analytical and it takes forever to prep. Both are okay, it's, there's not, we've treated BDRs like there's this one way of being successful and yet not only are they all individual humans who have their own processes and things, they're talking to bunches of different humans. So if we only have one type of BDR that does one type of thing, you will only appeal to a segment of the audience you're trying to capture who likes that. Everybody else goes away. My favorite BDR of all time, ever, who was the Including most successful. Including those that attended
0: today's call live today, right? <laughs> yes. Thank the you The ones that I've
1: that worked happened. with directly. Thank you for that. <laughs> OK, disclaimer. there you go. Thank you. Thank the you. The ones pleasure. that I direct with directly, um, she was of a, a grandmother who was like, had no idea about technology and sold this. She was the most successful. And you know why? Because people don't hang up on grandma. And so she had a grandma voice and she used it and she was slow and sweet and the opposite of me and like every way shape and she drove me crazy i couldn't have a meeting with this woman like she drove me crazy it's like you cannot call me but she was fantastic at the people she connected with that she Mm -hmm. she built this relationship with and we have to remember that and and we have to remind people that they have to do that so to me the balance is You measure the impact. We also have to remember that this is a game of building a pipeline, just like we build a pipeline for sales. You have to build a pipeline so you can have consistent, predictable performance for your activities as a BDR. So your first couple of months, it's going to be hard. It's because you don't have any pipeline. You're starting from scratch and there's not much you can do about that except hustle and learn and practice and talk to a whole bunch of people and make a whole bunch of mistakes. But once you get a couple months in, now you start to build that pipeline of people that I can go back to. And I I don't have to call you this week and get a meeting this Mm -hmm. week because I have 10 people that I met a month ago that said, call me back in a month. That's how we get to volume, is by building up that pipeline, not by creating fake
0: urgency on our timeline. Yes, please, thank you. Again, there's that hidden agenda. There's something that's disingenuous and people are now conditioned to be able to sniff out when someone has that hidden agenda, has something else up their sleeve. One thing that I really wanna highlight here for those on the call is that BDR superpower. So not all of us have this advantage of being an adorable um, woman who <laughs> has, whose tone of voice comes across as elderly who can build really good relationships. But if you're a dynamite subject line writer, hone that craft if you know how to craft that first opening line when you get someone like someone on the line double down on that figure out that's your superpower and use that superpower to your advantage to your point the point to take practice you're going to need to refine and figure out and identify and ideally you have a manager who's invested in your personal success who can help illuminate your superpower can give you visibility into that but you have to understand what that that vdr superpower is of yours and know when to fake it up, know when to use it to your advantage as well, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because it, there, there isn't a way of doing this. We've got to figure out what your strengths, just like everything in our life and our work, what do we exactly. lean in? Like, we spend all of our schooling learning what we're bad at. I, I think school is designed to even just... Now, I don't know why I hate school. <laughs> right? Like, just to do that, even for... Like, I was a really good student, but just because I learn in the way that school was designed for, right? I'm actually not that smart. I just, it it worked for me, right? So I, you know, but it's, we we learned what we were bad at and then we honed in. The opposite happens when you go to work. All of a sudden, when you become a BDR or a marketer or a salesperson, or you found a company or you do anything else, you now get to lean in on your strengths. And then you Mm -hmm. have a team of people that you work with that compliment you. And it is a wonderfully rewarding thing, but we forget that sometimes. And we yeah. fixate on, I'm not very good at um, you know, math, right? So I don't calculate my forecast correctly maybe, right? Or I'm not really good at subject lines. So my open rate drops, fine, buddy up with the person who is great at writing subject lines. You're great at something that they are not and figure out mm-hmm. how you complement each other and work together.
0: I think that is such great advice. Barter your skills, if you will, to help each other out. We want to be Be, the right. BPRs
1: should be a team sport, but we don't treat it like that. We treat it as an extremely competitive type of scenario Mm -hmm. when it really should be about surrounding the audience and working together and figuring out how we lift each other up.
0: Uh, I love that. I mean, that's end on that note right there. Lift each other up. BDRing is a team sport, Right. personalization is a way for you to develop a framework so that you can spend the rest of your time being personal. Would you say that's the right way to be thinking about personalization and personal uh, on a scale, a sliding scale? A hundred percent.
1: Personalization works when we don't know much about somebody, right? When they don't have a relationship with us. It is the tool that we can use to start to build up enough to earn the right to be personal. Got to earn that right. And we do that by getting to know you. That's exactly the correct way of looking at it.
0: And if you're a BDR and you're looking at your role and be using personalization to drive your efficiency and velocity in your selling, and you're looking for those moments to be personal, the key is to hone in on that BDR superpower so that your personalization can be more expeditious, but you can use your superpower to be more and more and more and more personal every time you have, honestly, the privilege of getting to interact with someone you want to do business with.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you really can't fake this. This is something that you can't pretend. I cannot go and spend a lot of people like, I'm going to spend a half hour this morning. I'm going to go through my list. I'm going to look in and I'm going to insert sports team. I'm going to insert city I was living. I'm going to, that's not going to work. It's, it's a place to start. And, you know, it's a, it's a better than nothing, but it more often fails than it succeeded. You really need to care about the people that you're reaching out to.
0: And it, and it has to be real. Empathy and authenticity, those two ingredients combined with personalization at the right time, personal with the right moment, uh, and using your BDR superpower as a mechanism to get that done, all knowing that you have to be empathetic and authentic in the work that you're trying to do. Here's my, here's what I, re- oh, just ahead.
1: one quick thing. And then I'll let you wrap yes. up. But this is, this is the most important advice ever for BDRs that I've ever. Ooh, we really buried given, the headline right? on this one. It's Here really not, saying. it's not like, like, it's not, but this is the really important thing. You want to remember that every single person that you're reaching out to, whether it's a phone call, you're having a meeting, or I'm sending a note someday in a month from now, in three years from now, in 10 years from now, you're going to want to reach out to them again. And mm-hmm. how do you want them to remember you? and that if you go into every outreach thinking that I'm going to want to reach out to this person way past when this campaign is over, it's going to change how you interact with them and that will serve you well because I promise someday in your career and some other job that you may have, you're probably going to circle back around. I have people in my world today that maybe I haven't talked to for 10 years but all of a sudden I'm doing a piece of research and their opinion would be perfect for it and I want them to fill out a survey. And I, because I've fostered that relationship, I send them a note and I have like a 60% hit rate, right? Of people who then did the research, who are busy, who I haven't talked to in 10 years. I just want to remind
0: you of those things, right?
1: It's because (laughs) I carefully crafted that relationship and I'm careful what I put in front of them.
0: Uh, I love this. My dad always says your network is your net worth. Um, And you thinking about playing the long game as you're in business development, that's the key. You're not thinking about long game of like, after that deal is closed one, you're not even thinking about that renewal that comes up, you're thinking long, long term, I will eventually be in touch with this person because let's face it, our world are all really small. Our TAM is pretty much all the same as one another at this point in time. So you will more than likely interact with someone much later on down the line. I love it. Thank you so, so much, Samantha. It was such a pleasure to just riff uh, with you on these ideas about how personalization is a framework. Personal is about being empathetic and authentic, and that you need to use your BDR superpower to be able to get that authenticity and empathy in front of the folks you want to do business with. Thank you so much for your insights and for teaching us this today on Office Hours. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. Oh, you know, we just, we, we just try to do what we can do the best we can out here. <laughs> it's my favorite so those of you conference. that dialed in, for those of you that dialed in, thank you so much for joining us live. For those of you that are watching on demand, if you have any questions, how can they get in touch with you, Samantha? Ideally, not using the word Sam on a message, but...
1: <laughs> Send me a... LinkedIn is a really easy way to get a hold of me. You can just go to Samantha Stone. I'm on LinkedIn. Also, marketingadvisorynetwork.com. Easy ways to... Phone numbers and things. Um, and you know, call me Samantha and show me you have a question, and then I'm going to be the first to respond, right? Like, and, I love, Samantha, I don't don't reference great. Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> Bentley's not important to me and I know that I live in Boston but I really don't care about the Red Sox and I'm sorry i am not you know I know that offends a lot of people but I'm just not a baseball person
0: I'm with you on that one it's a little slow for me as well too Well, again thank you so much for joining us on office hours and I'd love to bring you back on another episode in the future maybe we talk about you know gender bias in the workplace I don't know that oh, really yes. struck a nerve with me I'd like that yeah, um, so great. thank you so much, everybody for dialed in. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon and join us next week on another live episode of Office Hours. Bye.